We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, um, and from last week, we saw something strange in the sense that Jesus, this almighty, powerful figure in people's lives, uh, crowds just flocked around him, right? thousands gathered around him. And yet, with all the popularity, as Jesus comes back to his hometown, he's rejected. How do you ba- bounce back from rejection? How do you bounce back from a loss? And this section that we're about to read is going to uh, show what is Jesus' response to that. What is his response to rejection? Um, and so I'm going to start with chapter 6, verse 1, but our point of emphasis will be on ch- uh, verses 7 through 13 here. And so if you find your places in your Bible, on your phones here, we turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13, but I'm going to start from verse 1. And if you guys are able, can you please stand or rise with me for the reading of God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Uh, Let's give them our full attention today. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? Where is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And here's, here's our point of emphasis today. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Amen. Those goes reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. Would you join your hearts with mine in a quick word of prayer here? Um, Lord, as we live in this technologically savvy area where we can find instant connection wherever and whenever we please, yet we've never felt so alone at times. And Lord, as we come before you, would there be a great sense of reminder that you're always near, and you're especially near when your people, the community of your uh, church, gathers together as one. And so we pray, Father, would you show us what exactly you want to do, how you want to move within the community of New Life Fremont. Be with us in our reflections uh, even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in middle school, I had to move quite a far distance And naturally, part of moving means I have to enter into a new school. 
And that one dreadful period that I absolutely dreaded going to is lunchtime, right? I hated going to lunchtime, especially on the first day, because I was wondering, who's going to sit next to me? That's all I wondered as a new kid. And so when I, on my first day of lunch, I got my cafeteria food, and I quickly just found the, uh, the, the most open spot available. I sat down, and there was a group of Caucasian girls all sitting there, and they were all talking, but as soon as I, I, I sat down, they got all quiet, and it got super awkward. I just inhaled my food in like two seconds, and I just left because it was so uncomfortable for me. So moving up to the Bay Area and having to put my, enroll my kid in his first day of school in the middle of the year, I couldn't help but think about this moment. Who will sit next to my kid? And I, I, I was just thinking about it because I don't want him to go through that, uh, that sense of just being alone and, and what can I do to make sure that someone sits next to, next to him? Should, should I enter into the school and, you know, like sneak in and sit next to him, eat lunch with him? But then I, I don't want to get arrested, so I, I, I didn't opt for that. Instead, I have to stay home and, and pray to God that someone will be kind and gracious enough to, to sit next to this guy. And once school ended, he came back. We asked him how school was, and he said it was great. And he gave us this note that his teacher sent to us. And in the note, the teacher wrote how Miles did a wonderful job at school. He was, he was placed with all the, the good kids' table. And, you know, he, she, she made sure that kids were around him. And, like, as a parent, like, the weight on my, my guilt-ridden heart, it just magically lifted off. Someone sat next to him. Uh, especially during lunch. You know, statistically speaking, 46% of meals in the U.S. are eaten alone. 46%. And I'm imagining we do this mostly out of choice, that it's more convenient for us, or we're too busy to break bread with someone else, or maybe even perhaps there's no one to really break bread with. 46% of meals. I think about that statistic, and I I wonder how lonely it must feel, especially in a place like the Bay Area. See, in this passage, Jesus sends out his disciples for the purpose of invitation, for the purpose of welcoming strangers into his kingdom, to find people who are lost, to find people who are outcasts, who may perhaps be lonely. And he says, bring them in for me. Bring them in. And it's really a call for the church, a church like New Life Fremont. And I just want to think about two things here, is that what does it really mean to be a church that's sent? And secondly, what does it mean to be a church that has the sufficiency of God? These two things, what does it mean to be sent? What does it mean to find our sufficiency in? Let's look at the first part, sent. So remember the, the metaverse, a virtual reality world of augmented reality where people could, um, I guess, take on avatars and explore this new virtual world. I, I still don't know everything about it, but people valued this metaverse at $5 to $13 trillion in worth. Five to $13 trillion in worth. It was going to be the next big thing. 
And in the first year that it launched, the MetaFirst launched, what was the verdict? Only 38 active users. And it generated a total sum of $407. Dude, 38 people. That's New Life Fremont numbers on a good day right there. Right? It was a complete bust. And so when you think about it, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, and meaning that God's plan of redeeming and restoring the whole cosmos of making everything wrong good again, and he's going to make it right. And it's all starting with Jesus' entrance into the world and lots of promising signs of what Jesus does as he heals the sick, casts out demons, calms a storm, uh, raises a little girl to life. Promising signs. The kingdom of God is here. And as Jesus enters into Nazareth, his very own hometown, nobody believes him. They're offended by him. They say, yeah, right. Get out of here. A complete bust. Complete flop. So what do you do? Normally when, when, when a project this grand flops so bad, what do you do? You, you either scrap it all together or you just hush-hush everything and just be quiet and let it fizzle out. But rather than doing that, what does Jesus do? He sends out his disciples in pairs of two and sends them out and basically tells them, hey guys, even though people wouldn't believe me back in Nazareth, my own hometown, I want you to go out. I want you to tell people about my kingdom. Oh, and, and, and by the way, don't take any bread, don't take any bags, don't take any money or an extra set of clothes. Now go tell people about my kingdom. Does this sound like a good plan? Would you invest in this plan? Right? Would you? After the fact that it flopped, and now Jesus sends these disciples out, no bag, no money, no clothes. Jesus is essentially asking of the disciples to rely on the hospitality of the people that they go to, the community that they enter into. And at this time, hospitality was a basic uh, human practice for them. It was part of their culture. Inviting a stranger to your home, feeding them, housing them under your roof, roof, that was a norm. It was a norm for them because back then they didn't have uh, hotels or inns readily available, and when people traveled, they had to rely on the hospitality of one another. It was embedded within the culture to be hospitable. And when Jesus sends his disciples out this way, he is essentially saying, I want you to immerse yourself in the community. Immerse yourself in the community. And notice as Jesus uh, sends out the 12, or sends out the disciples to reach the community, what does he do? He sends them out with his own community, pairs of twos. That's where New Life Fremont comes in. If there is one thing that will hinder community uh, building it, especially in a place like the Bay Area, is when we prioritize convenience over community. This will be the most, uh, the biggest roadblock, prioritizing our convenience. 
See, all this uh, uh, infatuation with technology and AI and all that, it's, it's like making all these robots do these mundane tasks, and we, we think it's a good thing. And I, you know, I, I'm not against technology or anything like that. It's just we've made it so easier to be isolated. If you're hungry, you, you door dash it. If you, I'm drawing a blank here, but like when, when people used to move, right, and you'd, you'd call up a group of your friends together and they'd help you move together. But now we just hire people. I'm not saying that's wrong or anything. But we've made it easier to be alone, to be isolated. And yeah, we use the excuse of, I, I don't want to inconvenience anyone, so I'll just do it myself or I'll figure it out myself. But really, it's more about convenience, of being self-sufficient more than anything. And the thing is, there is nothing convenient about being in community. There is nothing convenient about being in community. It is the most inconvenient thing you can do in your life. It really is. And yet that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes breaking our calendars, even if we're super tired and we just want a free night out, and yet maybe perhaps there's a small group that's going on, or a community group that's going on, that maybe you're just not doing because you're just too tired. Or maybe it's just the fact that, um, you know, you, you want some free time to do your own thing. But maybe it might be, maybe the, the solution is to actually meet up with people, eat together, break bread together. It's inconvenient to do these things. But it's absolutely necessary. You know, as a church, we uh, just came back from a, a church camping trip last week and uh, honestly, uh, not to give anyone uh, FOMO for not being able to attend. We, we wish everyone could come, but I understand if you couldn't. But it felt like after the camping trip, uh, I, I got the sense like the energy in the room was people got a little bit closer together. At least that's how I personally felt um, looking at the interactions. And I feel like a large part of that is because um, all of us were kind of miserable together in the cold. Um, it was cold and freezing. We kind of all suffered together, and we were all binded by that. Uh, but it was also fun, you know, like the, the cooking and everyone helped out cleaning, watching the kids together. But there's this sense of community. Everyone did things together. We ate every meal together. And just by that simple act, I feel like it brought us closer in that sense. There's nothing convenient about community but it's life-giving. I want to share this uh, picture with you here. It's the only picture there. You know what this is? It's a historic monument. It's the very picnic table at Newark Community Park. And this very table here, as my kids were playing, I was reminded to take a photo because this very table here is the very table where the search committee sat down with me. And in that whole process, they told me, we won't leave you hanging. We won't leave you hanging. We'll be with you. And everyone in that search committee nodded their heads. And I like to believe everyone here at this church, their representative also is affirming the same thing. Listen, this is not like my backhanded way of saying, like, do more or, like, you know, cryptic message. I'll, I'll be more open about that. But, like, that's not the issue here. That's not what I'm trying to get at. Is that there's nothing convenient about community, 
yet it is the most life-giving thing, and we need everyone surrounding this table to build community together. It takes everyone. It takes everyone to build the community. We need it. It takes a community to reach the community. And as God is still sending us to be his witnesses, some of us might be thinking, you know, we're not big enough yet to make an impact. Maybe we feel like we don't have the right personalities or the right gifts. But that's when we have to realize that the sending is being done by the one who is truly sufficient for us. Which brings us to the last point here, sufficiency. Take no bread, take no bag, take no money. These are items that are all essentially revealing status in the world. Right? You think about bread. Right? You eat at the hottest restaurants according to Yelp, and you, you, you picture those, those uh, uh, fancy whatever dishes, and you let everyone know that you are at the exclusive spots. It's a matter of status in that way. When you think about bags, if all we care about is functionality, we would all carry around paper bags. But a bag is a bag is a bag, unless it's Gucci or something else. I'll be honest. I have a backpack, and it's a North Face backpack. I know Jansport will do, but this North Face one, when I put it on, I feel adventurous. Right? That's my identity. These are status symbols in a sense. Or you think about money. Man, you want to know what hinders friendships the most, the greatest barriers to friendship? It's, it's the, the, the wealth disparity. Super hard to hang out with rich friends who like uh, eat at $5 sign Yelp review places and like you can't hang with them. You can't relate to them. And yet here Jesus says, get rid of all those things. Take none of those with you. I mean, is, is he crazy? How are you supposed to be influential without any of these things? And yet what Jesus is getting at is who gives the authority? Who truly is sufficient? He is. We never had anything to offer to begin with. That's always been the point. We never had anything to offer. People don't come to God because we're impressive or influential. But when we offer what we are dependent on, the grace of God, we can only offer what we have truly received for ourselves. Isn't this why we're all here? Because we all desperately need God. We all desperately need God in our lives. This one lady, she commented on Facebook how she enjoyed church. She enjoyed the experience how people were friendly, they were welcoming. She loved the music. She loved the food that people shared. And as she was expressing all these things that she loved about church, she said, is there anything that I can find that's like church, but without the God part? Is there anything like this? It's missing the point. Look at verse, look, look at verse 12. It says, so they went out and proclaimed to everyone, they should what? Repent. What is repentance than to say that you need God in your life for everything? 
Is that not what repentance is? That you need God for everything. Here's the crazy part about all this. Jesus gives the disciples authority to cast out demons, which means they have power they didn't possess before. And as the disciples are ready to head out, he tells them in verse 11, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you, uh, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your foot as a testimony against them. He basically tells them, hey, I know this mission that I'm sending you on is crazy difficult. Hey, you might fail. People might reject you. I want you to imagine like you prepping yourself for like a board exam or an interview that you have going on and you're prepping yourself really hard for it and then your friend or your buddy just comes to you and just tells you, hey, you might not get it. You might fail. It's, that's not exactly the kind of prep talk, you're, prep talk you're looking for. Not exactly inspirational. And yet what Jesus is doing here is that he's, he's giving the reality of the harsh condition that he is sending his disciples into. See, for, for a host to not receive you well, all right, dusting off your, uh, washing the foot of, your, of the strangers that you invite, your guests, that was basic common practice. And so for the dust to still be on your feet means that the host didn't even do the most basic hospitality thing for you. It wasn't just rude. For that culture, that's offensive. Jesus is describing a hostile culture that perhaps you may come into grips with. And he says, as I send you out into this, I still want you to befriend them. Welcome them into my kingdom. Befriend them even if they reject you. And if, if you were God, let's just do this thought experiment. If you were God, would you give the option of giving your created beings the freedom to reject you? Would you do this? The Bible says that God is sovereign, which means he's in control of everything. Yet, yet at the same time, the Bible says that he has given us free will. It's a mystery how those two things work out. But true nonetheless, why would God give us the uh, freedom to, to reject him? And this is where I want to point out, isn't this what it means to, isn't this the nature of true love? The possibility that someone can reject you and has the possibility to break your heart. Because in all relationship, something has to be on the line. A relationship that has no risk involved, no sense of being wounded, indicates it's not meaningful enough. Because what's on the line, essentially? Nothing. Costs you nothing. And this is exactly what we're all trying to avoid. We only are willing to invest in the relationships that will have the greatest returns of values for us. Especially in a place like the Bay, where people come in and out, so why invest if it's only temporary? And yet Jesus is saying, immerse yourself in the community, even if you experience rejection. My wife asked me why it's hard for me to make friends. She asked this in a very loving way. It made me think. 
And then she asked me, followed up, and she said, do you consider me your best friend? I said, no, you're my wife. You're not my best friend. And then she insisted, no, I'm your best friend. And that settles that. So we, before we, we moved up here, my, my kid had to have his last play date with his friends. They all met up. Um, they all met up. They were playing tag, eating lots of pizza and candy and all that. And was time to part ways, we took Polaroids of, of the friends all together. And we gave a photo to each kid. As they were parting ways and saying goodbye, the, the, the kids automatically did this little like group hug together. And they were saying, oh, they're like, some of them were crying. And they're saying, I'll visit you in Fremont. I'm like, who visits Fremont, you know? <laughs> I'll visit you in Fremont. And, and like, it killed me to watch it. Absolutely killed me to watch this. And I was reminded, that's why I don't make friends. That's why I don't try to. Because why deal with the heartbreak? Why deal with the disappointments? Just save yourself from all that. We move up here to the Bay, and we're like experiencing Fremont, and like every single day the door knocks, and there's someone knocking on the door, and we open the door, it's one of the neighborhood kids, and they, they ask, can Miles come out to play? Can Miles come out to play every single day? And I'm like in camping, just watching him play with all the new life kids. I realized for him, it's not so much about making friends. It's just a part of who he is. And I always think in my mind, like friendships, it's only worth it if it's going to last forever. But I don't think that's supposed to be the case. That friendships really are about having the courage to start all over again and again and again. And isn't this what Jesus is getting at? That to truly befriend someone is to have the courage to start over again, to build trust again, to welcome, to invite your neighbors, the strangers, the lonely, regardless of what kind of outcome. After all, is this not what God does for us? That every day he chooses to befriend us. That some days we ignore him to go about our day, but he still makes the sun shine over us. He still provides that meal for us. Some days out of desperation, we will seek him. We'll ask him for help. And other days, we'll be too mad to even look up. And yet, despite all that, he chooses us every day. Jesus came into the world as an extension of God's friendship towards us. And as he extends his friendship towards us, he brought, he brought no bread so that he can become our daily bread, daily living bread for us. He brought no bag because his mission is to carry us into his kingdom. He brought no money because he became, for your sake, became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He didn't bring a spare change of clothes, because at the cross, he was stripped naked. They tore his garments apart, all so that he can clothe you in his righteousness. If that's not a true friend, I don't know what is. And yet he chooses to befriend you. This is the community that he is building. 
That's the community he's calling us to. Won't you join me at that table, knowing what the Lord is calling us to do together at New Life Fremont? Guys, let's do this together. It's not convenient, but it's absolutely life-giving. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord, as we come before you, it's hard for us to befriend anyone because we've all been hurt before. We've all had misunderstandings. We all know what it's like to be left dry. But as we fix our gaze on you, O Lord Jesus, you will never let us down. You will always be there for us. And yet for some absolutely crazy idea, you calling us to befriend, to be your witnesses, to represent you, because you're that good of a friend towards us. Jesus, as we've been through our ups and downs at New Life Fremont, we look up to you and we pray that you would work within us by your Holy Spirit what it means to be a church that exemplifies grace, what exemplifies being truthful in love, and what it really means to be friends, friends of you, friends of each other. And so, Lord, would you continually build up our community as we look to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.